Hey, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow. Midweek, Super Bowl week, and I've got a couple of guests here today to talk about the game. Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders. He's the guy who created the DVOA stat that you've heard a lot more about in recent years. Um, I'll talk to him about the game, what the numbers tell us about Sunday's matchup, and also what we can glean from them about next year's teams what we saw this year that should carry over, and what history tells us will not. I also have some specific questions for him about the Bills, whose DVOA was strong to the bitter end despite the ways that they appeared to be more and more vulnerable down the stretch. Did the metric miss something with them? Or was the Bengals game for them an anomaly? First, though, because we've talked so much about the Eagles on this podcast in the last few weeks, I wanted to dive into the Chiefs. I think that they are an interesting team in the sense that they are generally disinteresting. And by that, I mean Mahomes is great. He is consistently great. And he's been great for years. And so given the choice of creating content around that or discussing in detail something that we didn't know prior to that week, month, year, you're always going to choose the thing that's fresh. And there are a bunch of examples of fresh around the league. The Eagles fall into that category, I think, for a number of reasons. But what happens then is that you go a whole year with sort of vague acknowledgments that this thing is happening over here and it's very, very good. But you never really spend much time talking about the ways in which it is good in detail. We've gotten to a point where we expect Patrick Mahomes to do crazy things. So to constantly break down the crazy things that he's doing feels a little bit like you're answering a question that nobody's asking. And also, one that runs the risk of sounding very gushy and repetitive. But as I've also talked about before, I think we have a tendency to allow that kind of blasé, yeah, I've already seen you do that kind of attitude to seep into things like award evaluations. We prioritize for those conversations sometimes the new and the fresh, maybe over-prioritize the new and the fresh. And that's when it starts to feel like a mistake to me not to do the constant breakdowns of the extremely good stuff, because I don't think that there's any doubt that Mahomes is operating on a different tier right now than anyone else in the league. And I mean anyone else, including Hertz and Burrow and Allen, who are, in my opinion, the next tier of quarterbacks right now. But what also happens is that you get to a game like this and you know everything there is to know about the team that is new and fresh, the Eagles, their offensive line, their wide receivers, their tight end, their pass rush, their corners, the new coach. We know this team top to bottom. We have spent the whole year celebrating them. And I mean all of them. But the Chiefs feel like Mahomes and Kelsey and guys. And obviously, there's more to it than that. And in order to understand this matchup, I think we need to understand the ways that there is more to it than that. And so I've called on Seth Kaiser, who analyzes the Chiefs for The Athletic. He has a newsletter also called Chief of the North. He lives in Minnesota. First caught my attention a few years back on Twitter with his smart tape-driven breakdowns of the team. And I found him to be a great source of Chiefs information since then. So let's get to it. These are the things that we need to know about this team heading into Sunday. It's time to break the huddle. Let's go! So, Seth, three times in five years, this is becoming a regular thing for this team. 
I could get used to this. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm 37 and I've been cheering for the Chiefs basically my whole life. And I never saw them really win a playoff game. Last time they won a playoff game, I think I was, I was like eight, give or take. And then you had that massive break. And so like we're not that many years removed from when they finally beat a terrible Houston team to win a playoff game for the first time in like 25 years. It was this huge deal. And now I was talking to my wife, Jazz, um, earlier this week, and I was like, you know, I mean, I'm excited, I guess. You know, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> we're there already? Yeah, like we're there already. It's like, oh, a Super Bowl, one of those. And now they need to win another one. That'd be nice. Um, but even <laughs> the AFC Championship, the nerves just weren't the same as they used to be until the game started. Then I became a complete catastrophe and wreck, and my wife sent me into a different room, so I wasn't a bad influence on the kids. It was great. Seth, this is, this is, this moment is like when people, uh, pivot to hating the chiefs. I know (laughs) I'm seeing it happen. It's a hundred percent happening. Cause now if you look up, you know, chiefs on Twitter, you'll see, you know, the refs love the chiefs. They want them in the super bowl and all that stuff. And it's like, so this is what it feels like to be the bad guy. Yeah. You're the the Patriots now. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I don't hate it. It's, it's not great. It's, 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 it's terrible. Like I could feel it happening to me. It's like, well, you just feel that way because you're clearly inferior, obviously. <laughs> and that's not an okay way to live. But I mean, it's better than the alternative. It's so much better than the alternative. I've lived the alternative. I, I was working for SB Nation during the 2012 season. And like, we, what do you write about when they lose yeah. like the 10th game in a row and they're so bad and there's no good, really good. Well, it turns out Geno Smith was good. I wanted the Chiefs to draft Geno Smith. Didn't realize I was right until 10 years later, but there's like no great quarterbacks on the horizon that you think, and there's just no hope. This is way better. And so on behalf of myself and Chiefs fans everywhere, we, we really are sorry, but it's not going to change any of our behavior. We're just sorry. Look, everyone who's a fan of a team out there knows that they would 100% be the exact same way. Like if you could all of a sudden elevate their team to the top of the mountain and just be like, we are clearly in dynasty territory. This is what (laughs) we're in store for, for the next decade. Um, Absolutely. That's how everyone would act. And then it becomes like you end up in these new kind of, because sports is really just so much debate. We just love talking about, you know, is A or B better? You know, that that really defines like 80% of content and what we do right. and why people love it. And the, the debates have now changed where Chiefs fans feel like they're always fighting against. No, no, you don't realize just how great Mahomes is. And yes. that's got to be annoying to people. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I feel like I saw that. I saw that sitting where I sit mm-hmm. totally uninvested, you know, in any way this year. I feel like it flipped this year and he turned into Tom Brady and you guys turned into the Patriots where all of a sudden I was seeing like for the first few years of his career, people are like, Whoa, look at that. And everyone outside of like rivals of the chiefs, you know, I have a few friends who are chargers fans. They hate him. I get that. It has nothing to do with him. It has to do with chargers chiefs. Right. Right. So that makes sense to me. But at a certain point this year, I saw people trying to push back against the Patrick Mahomes' great narrative. And I was like, who are these people? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me because I feel like he's objectively 
really good at football. And so what I'm seeing here is it's the mentality. It's like, we've already built him up and now we have to start tearing him down. Like people are just sick of it already, which I think is fascinating. Um, so let's, let's, let's make those people even more angry than they already were by talking about all the ways in which he's great. What do you think we learned about Patrick Holmes this year that we didn't know prior to? I think the thing that 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 the football world at large learned about Mahomes this year, and just to really phrase it in the most aggravating way possible, the thing that Chiefs fans have known for years that the football world as a whole is you were careful. This yep. is what you people now know that we already knew. Okay, <laughs> yeah. got it. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So look, what you what what, <laughs> what the unwashed masses have learned this year, um, it, it's. It's that Mahomes, while he he's physically unique and incredible, and, and he does all these weird things that we didn't know were really possible, his, 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 the way he wins mentally has really flown under the radar over the years. Even, you know, with the improvements he made from 2018 to 2019 in terms of dealing with, say, cover zero. That was the first thing to really beat Mahomes. Uh, Bill Belichick did a lot of it in 2018. The Raven gave, gave him some problems. You'd, you'd crowd the line of scrimmage with eight guys, then, then run some kind of zone blitz. And that messed with him. He was a young player. He didn't know how to deal with it. So then he adapted to that. And then, you know, the, the new thing became eventually, well, well, you know what we'll do? We'll do cover two. You know, because no one's seen that before. And, 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 and just different iterations of, of, well, it'll be all press man with a spy. It'll be all. And he's had to overcome every iteration of an NFL that's rapidly become geared to stop him because that's how the NFL works. It's OK. What's the most successful thing? How do we stop that? And what I think people learned in the playoffs, especially this year, seeing him hobbled and seeing him not be able to you know, break the pocket as much, even in the AFC championship. And there's a reason he only really ran when the game was on the line because he couldn't. And so he had to beat the Bengals, a defense with a, with a a talented defense, with a great defensive coordinator that kind of had Andy Reid's number in multiple matchups. He had to beat them by, by getting his protection set up perfectly, by going through reads quickly, by finding the right spot. You, you couldn't say, well, it's because he has Tyree Kill. You couldn't say it because it's all the weapons. You couldn't say it because it's Andy Reid, because all of those things were being taken from him and he was still able to do it. So I think that's the thing we've learned about Mahomes is he really is that much better now than he was in 2018. Are you saying he's not just a crazy athletic talent, but he's actually a good quarterback? You know, I, I think I wrote, I think I wrote, you know, he did, he did things that might be known as quarterbacking, which is so passive aggressive. And again, I understand why people hate that. You should hate that. I'm still going to do it, but you should hate it. And it, it really is those things that he's been great at for a while. People are really noticing more and more. He's had to basically shift the type of player he is several times in his career And that's what I think differentiates him from other guys. Other guys, even great, great, great quarterbacks can win in certain ways. He really can win whether he's moving around like Josh Allen or moving around like late career Dan Marino. He can do either one of them. And that's what I think separates him is that he really can live wherever he needs to live. I'm already predicting the call I'm going to get from my brother, who's a hardcore Raiders fan. It's going to happen um, tomorrow. And it's going to go like this. I got about eight minutes into your podcast and I had to turn it off, Lindsay, but I still love you. So yeah, no, it's good. we're going to persevere anyway. We're sacrificing him. It's fine. 
Yeah, it won't it won't have anything to do with it. Let him know I actually like Derek Carr for what that's worth. I don't that's not really worth a lot anymore, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't don't be yeah, sorry. I I get why. I would I would hate listening to it too. And that's where I think, you know, Chiefs fans, anytime another quarterback gets praise, they come back with that wounded, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, Justin Herbert's fine. But Mahomes. And yeah. you just you you keep going back to that same spiral over and over. Well, he's the new gold standard. And you know what? In the championship round, the ankle got a lot of attention, but how about the loss of receivers that he had to work through also? I mean, Juju, Tony, Hardman, all hurt in the game. Watson inactive. They had Sky Moore, MVS, and Marcus Kemp. Just to take the theme of this season, which is look at what he did without Tyreek Hill. Yep. And then like, just like, parse it down to like the most bare bones, right? <laughs> yeah. What's the thing we could do to make this as extreme as possible? Yes. You, you got a rookie who's still working on his sight adjustments, which in Andy Reid's offense are incredible. A lifetime special teamer who I don't, I don't know if Marcus Kemp had caught a pass this year. Maybe he caught one or two. Um, and then, and then Marquez Valdez Scantling, who is known to be, he's, he's a niche player and he's a good one. But he's not like it. Like if that's your guy, who's your number one receiver, you're thinking, oh, okay. And the and the Bengals were just when to say that they were bracketing or haloing Kelsey would be understating <laughs> what they were doing. It, he would get off the line, and you look at the ultimate every step. There's like three Bengals in his area. <laughs> Well, that's, I think, one of the most fascinating things about Kelsey in this offense, right? And and we talk about Mahomes and how he's an otherworldly talent. I think that Kelsey fits that description at the tight end position, certainly. He's, he's um, you know, that own standalone guy also. But uh, how does he get open? How in the world do you not, as a defense, just go, that's the only guy who's not going to hurt us, right? Right. Like, I don't, I don't, it's fascinating to me that he still is able to have the success that he has this year. It's really, it's genuinely freakish. Um, Belichick, I don't know why more teams don't imitate what you've seen the Patriots do over the years. Although Reed has done a good job kind of adapting. So what Belichick used to do, he would, he would either put a really talented cover corner on him and still have someone bracketing him, or he would put a really talented cover corner on him and also just have him just get the tar beat on him at the line. He would, you know, defensive ends would hit him. Linebackers would hit him. Just try to beat him relentlessly in those first five yards. And, and there, there, it worked. You could tell. I always told people, if you don't think Travis Kelsey is great, because that was another fight that Chiefs fans had all the time. Lots of fights with Chiefs fans. Maybe we are the problem. It's me. Uh, <laughs> and so um, I, I would always tell people, just go look at the film of when the the Patriots play the Chiefs and they were terrified of Kelsey constantly even when Hill was there they always had a game plan around Kelsey as well and it just went to show like Belichick always tries to take away the thing you do best and it was always Kelsey the way he gets open now Reed does a really good job alternating where he lines up um them running a lot of 13 personnel now has really helped makes it harder to key on just Kelsey and the thing that he does when he's when Reed tries to get him free releases a lot, you know, lining up the slot has been a big thing. Um, he just so many of his routes look like he's just running, you know, 10 yards and then just turning around. And it, it looks so right. easy. It does. And and that's that's why it's almost hard to write about him sometimes, because I'll like be showing like I'm going to show a highlight catch. And he just runs 10 yards, turns around. He's open. He catches the ball. 
And it's so hard to describe. Why is he always open? And it's because he, he reads defenses in real time as he gets on his route. And there's a reason no one plays like that. No one else makes it that easy. Um, And you need a quarterback who reads the defense the same way. Otherwise you're going to be throwing a ton of picks. It's so much fun to watch. He is. I I think Kelsey is one of one. Uh, I think he's going to keep doing this another couple of years and start to push that goat conversation out of reach. Yeah. I I think that that's a a safe assumption. How much do you think that they'll miss Hardman on Sunday and his skill set? I think a lot of that's going to depend on Kadarius Tony's health. Um, So he says he's playing. He says he's playing. Yeah, I know. What does that mean? Right. Yeah. I I wonder if the, I wonder if the chiefs trainers are going to talk to him about his own jukes. It's like he keeps, he's so quick that he hurts himself with his own movement. This is so, not a new trend, by the way. This is yeah. Gi- Giants fans are like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're saying that I know. Um, they just need him for like one game. Um, and, and Tony's when he's been healthy, he's been so dynamic in the Chiefs offense. So that's going to be a big deal because he's a downfield threat as well. He's got better ball skills than you think. It's just the injuries. The the big problem if he really can't go is when you talk about beating the the Eagles pass rush, the best, um, I think the best game to maybe look at would be Chiefs Niners earlier this year. And the Niners had some injuries, but most of their defense, Armstead was out. But Bosa was healthy. They had multiple other pass rushers that were just coming back. And and Andy Reid just put Nick Bosa in hell for 60 minutes by running jet sweeps past him time after time, by running screens to his side, some delays, draws, just a bunch of things that you could see there, like on a couple of touchdowns, you could see Bosa just kind of spinning around as Hardman sprinting past him. And that's one of Reed's favorite ways to slow down pass rushes. The thing is Hardman's really good at that stuff. He, um, he hasn't developed into like a, a great overall receiver, but he's incredibly explosive. He's very fast and he moves well with the ball in his hand and he really has angle destroying speed. So you can run all that jet sweep stuff with him really effectively. Kadarius Tony can run that stuff really effectively. After those two, Sky Moore hasn't been as good at that. It's just not, you can tell he's still trying to feel, you know, when to take that one cut and go. So if Hardman being out, it depends on Tony because that's one of their favorite ways to slow down pass rushes. And there's a huge mismatch there with the Chiefs tackles versus those edge rushers. Outside Mahomes, what impresses you about this offense? What do they do well that does not track back to Mahomes elevating anyone's play? Sure. Um, the first thing would the first thing would be Kelsey and all the stuff we already talked about with him. That makes them unique in the amount of attention that has to be dedicated to him. There's almost like a you you know that there's going to be three or four third downs that shouldn't be converted that will be with his existence. And there's an automatic edge there. The offense, they run really well and pass really well out of 13 personnel where you've got Kelsey on the field, but also with Jody Fortson and either Noah Gray or Blake Bell, depending on who they decide to have active. And the reason they can do that so effectively is because assuming Mahomes is mobile again, at least more mobile, Mm -hmm. it, it puts him on the move in space and you can leave a defensive end, most of them unblocked against Mahomes in space because he's just too athletic. Now, Riddick's a freak, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but the, the thing about Fortson and gray and bell, none of them are obviously Travis Kelsey in terms of receivers, but they're competent and they'll, they'll catch the ball if it's thrown their way. And Fortson and gray are pretty good athletes, um, who, who can get a little yak. And so you're still a threat to pass, but you're also a threat to run there. And with Isaiah Pacheco's development, they have run the ball really well. That's been kind of a new thing this year since 
Kareem Hunt left town, really. Um, they they actually run the ball efficiently and effectively overall. And so through that, they, they can prevent teams from cheating against them quite as much as they did in previous years. Um, the final thing that they kind of rely on is threatening the field at multiple levels. And that's why you have two very specific types of players in Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Both of them are, are limited players. And I don't mean that as an insult, but they're not, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster is not really a deep threat. He hasn't been for a few years. I don't think he's quite as explosive as he was as a rookie, even though he's only 25, I think. Whereas, you know, MVS, he threatens down the field, but he's not an intermediate and shallow guy. And so they, they've gone out of their way. They knew they had to replace some semblance of what Tyreek Hill can do. And so they found multiple guys to do it. And that, that I think has allowed them to continue to threaten all phases of the field. So those are the non Mahomes things that they hopefully do well. And it's a really smart build in my opinion, when you are paying your quarterback on his yes. second deal, we've talked a lot about roster building and how to construct a team. Um, I, I, it's much easier to do when you have somewhat of Patrick Mahomes skill set, obviously right. that does elevate the play of everybody around him. Um, but uh, I think that they've done it really well. Uh, sticking with the offense for just a sec, if Patrick Mahomes is not the MVP, if they win this game, based on how you see the game going, who else do you think would possibly be in the mix? On the offensive side of the ball? Yeah. yeah. Um, Kelsey's no, I think it's interesting that you asked that as a follow-up question. We'll get to that in a sec. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think Kelsey's the easy one. Okay. I think it's more likely if Mahomes isn't the MVP. Mm-hmm. I think it would have to be a couple of big plays that would really swing things. And I, I think, and now I swear this isn't reaction to the AFC championship. I've been, I've been beating the drum for this guy earlier. I think Marquez Valdez Scantling would be the most likely simply because him and Mahomes have probably misconnected on anywhere between a half dozen to 10 deep shots this year where Valdez Scantling was open and he could have an extra four or five touchdowns and three or 400 yards if Mahomes didn't miss him on some deep shots, he's there, get behind the defense guy. And I could see that if he, you know, if you hit on even two of those, you know, it could be one of those, his, the, one of my favorite stat lines of him this year was he had a game where he had, I think it was three catches for like 111 yards and, oh and a gosh. touchdown. That's, that's it. That's what you're looking for from MBS. And that's yeah. how a guy like him, I think could walk away with it. I think the second most likely would be Pacheco. If they formulate if if they formulate a more run oriented game plan and get him pretty involved in the passing game, could you see them doing that? No, I can't. Andy yeah. Reid can't do that. He Andy Reid. So they're always ahead of the chains. They do well on first down. And poor Andy Reid. He looks. He sees Isaiah Pacheco. He'll like run for six yards on first down. Like, Man, that guy's good. And then he looks, and it's second and four. And he's got a big play sheet in front of him, and every play is available. And he can't help it. Yeah. Um. And so I, I do think if the Eagles pass rush is doing some damage earlier, they might try to slow him down with that. But that that's why he's my distant dark horse second there. Yeah, it's you look at Kelsey and you look at MVS. And so that stat line that you gave for MVS uh, provides a path where obviously a lot of that's yak yards. It's hard to look at that and say, oh, so they have success in the passing game. Mahomes is going to be the guy, right? Like, so I have a hard time, I have a hard time seeing anyone on the offense that's not Mahomes winning it if. Yeah. Uh, if they in fact win on the defense, did you ask that specifically because you think it's more likely that a defensive player would win if it's not Patrick Mahomes? I think if it's not, if it's not Patrick Mahomes, I think the most likely would probably be Chris Jones Yeah, or 
Legereus Sneed. Um, Ooh, one of those two. Cleared concussion protocol will play. How important is that? That's a big deal. And so with him, he's probably at this point not the Chiefs' best cover corner. That's probably Trent McDuffie, who has been phenomenal as a rookie. Um, and he's also the first human to be the first tackler to tackle Jamar Chase. So <laughs> the first that was, human. Yeah, that was that, that's the first one I've ever seen do it. Um, and so I, I the thing with Legarius Sneed, though, is that Steve Spagnolo loves blitzing from the slot. He always has, even from this time back to the Giants. And right now, both McDuffie and Sneed are very good at it. And he likes to send in Justin Reed. Now he had some blitzes, poor Trevor Lawrence in the divisional round where he was, he was sending, he, he was sending a, a safety from one side and then a slot corner from the other side. And then a few plays later, he sent the safety at the slot corner from the same side. It's just sick. Like that's mean. It's mean spirited. And he loves doing that. And I could see Legereus Sneed grabbing a couple of sacks, a couple of pass breakups, you know, a pick kind of filling up the stat line in a way that that could really show out um and then chris jones being who he is and the eagles have they've got all they've got an all-world right tackle an all-world center a really really good left tackle and decent guards their guards are decent they're not they're not bad please eagles fans don't hurt me they are they they're they're, they're oh, they guards. stopped listening long ago oh yeah oh yeah yeah they, <laughs> they, they, yeah we just have chiefs fans left here like oh yes please tell me more um their, their guards are are fine and that's fine most of the time it's not fine against chris jones and so i'm curious if the eagles are going to try to do some of what the bengals have always done and just constantly slide protection to, to jones or if they're going to say hey we've got a great line we're going to do what we do and dare him to beat them and in that case he could rack up some stuff pretty early if it goes that route i think the general takeaway for most people about this Kansas city team this year is that the offense led by Mahomes mm-hmm. is otherworldly and the defense is sort of middle of the road. Do you think that that is accurate or fair? Yeah, that's fair. Um, the, their consistency has been up and down. Um, and, and that's the, the funny, you know, the, the running joke in Kansas city right now is anytime Patrick Mahomes has an average defense, he wins the Super Bowl because they 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 really had some, you know, 2019, they went from a horrendous defense to to an OK one. And since then, some of their biggest swings, um, you know, they they worked out OK. It's not like Frank Clark has been bad for the Chiefs. He just hasn't been, you know, a hundred and ten million dollar guy, that type of thing. And Anthony Hitchens wasn't necessarily that. And, and so their 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 biggest swings, their foundational players before this year weren't necessarily carrying foundational weight other than Chris Jones. So they kind of did a soft reset on the defense this year and they're a lot more athletic. They they're better tacklers, but they've still been kind of up and down. And that's what happens when you got like, you know, six rookies playing more than half the snaps. And so I think it's fair to say it's middle of the road. I do think it's worth noting that down the stretch, it's been good. Um, you know, the, the, everyone talks about Mahomes and, and Kelsey and the AFC championship, everything the offense did there, it wouldn't have mattered if they didn't do what they, the defense didn't handle their side of things against one of the best and hottest offenses in the NFL. We had just watched what the Bengals had done to the bills defense and the chiefs defense came in and, and, and held them to a fairly low point total that allowed Mahomes and the offense to, to do what they did. 
you know this defense um, and its tendencies as well as anyone. When you dive into what the Eagles do well and what they do less well, um, because I don't think there's anything that they do particularly poorly, what do you think is reasonable to expect from Kansas City's game plan? If I, based on what the Chiefs do well and what the Eagles do well, what the Chiefs don't want is for the Eagles run game to get going. Um, Nick Bolton and Willie Gay Jr. are both decent linebackers with some strengths, but um, Bolton has some, some set weaknesses in terms of play speed, as well as getting reached at the second level. He doesn't shed blockers particularly well. And I just made a lot of Chiefs fans mad. He's Mizzou made. I love Nick Bolton. He's a great tackler, but he does have some defined weaknesses as well as in coverage in the middle of the field. And almost any team that's run the ball just up the middle and consistently been able to get guys to the second level. Bolton struggled with that. Willie Gay Jr. is a little better with that. He's got more length, more athleticism, but that's not really their game because of that. And because I think Spagnolo is not going to be able to help himself against a second year quarterback. I think they spend a lot of the first quarter sending the house. I think Spagnolo is going to say, well, we're going to line up our linebackers in each a gap. And we're going to blitz the crap out of them constantly. So then you can't really run the ball as well. And we're going to see, because that, 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 that kind of takes care of that a little bit. You, you've got your linebackers moving forward, trying to attack gaps. And then hopefully you're not seeing guys, you know, Jason Kelsey climb 20 yards down the field and just start brutalizing people. And then the second part of that is let's see if your second year quarterback who hasn't performed particularly well against the blitz this year, Let's see if he can handle it. Just snap after snap after snap because Spags will spam the blitz button. And it's, it's something he does that sometimes drives me crazy because if it gets beat, it ends very badly, but it's something that he, he does almost all the time to young quarterbacks. Um, He did it to Trevor Lawrence, both times they played this year. And and I don't think, I don't think Hertz is going to be any exception. I I think they're going to be sending at least one extra guy very frequently early and see if Hertz can beat it. Could the rookies handle that on the back end? And that's, you know, they, they did well overall against the Bengals. And that's really, that's one reason Sneed being back is going to be such a big deal because then they run four deep with corners that they trust. Um, although odds are, you know, Sneed or McDuffie will be one of the guys blitzing. Um, the, the big thing for them is can you stay in well, I, I would be surprised if they went with with man coverage looks like they did at a few more times against the Bengals, just because Joe Burrow, the, this first matchup in week 13 it, against soft zones, just dink, 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 middle of the field over and over. I'm guessing he'll probably try to incorporate more zone blitzes early, see if Hertz can, you know, all right, we're showing, we're showing, you know, whatever, single high man, but we're actually dropping into cover six on the left side and man match on the right. Can you read that? Can you figure that out? And he trusts his guys to do that. They, they, he does weird things like that. And again, some quarterbacks, especially inexperienced ones, sometimes it hits and it, it, it develops in them. You know, they're going to throw a while. There's someone standing in the way I didn't expect. And then sometimes if it doesn't work out and, and it hurts, he's a smart guy. So I think early on, you're going to see big plays one way or the other from either the Eagles taking advantage of that game plan or the Chiefs defense making some big plays early. But I think they'll probably incorporate more zone behind it, at least early, because A.J. Brown is a terrifying human being. Yeah. And he's just so good. And so I, I, I don't know if they're going to want to do a lot of man there, especially if they're sending heat. MVP question, but the other way around. And I know that this is a hypothetical that you don't even want to entertain, but let's say the Eagles win this game, but it's not Jalen Hurts that wins MVP. Who is it? 
I'm guessing either AJ Brown or uh, Riddick on the other side. Um, Brown is just, he, he's just terrifying. And the chiefs, one of their biggest lapses on defense this year has been swarming and tackling at times. They, they really tried to get younger and more aggressive, but they still have these lapses where they just, you know, they, they allow 10 yards when they should allow five. And AJ Brown's a guy that he'll take an 80 yard touchdown when you do something like that. And so I think, I think he's the one that would have the best chance to, to do significant damage after the catch. Smith is low key. He's a really tough matchup though, for especially um, Williams and Watson, the two rookie corners, they're bigger guys, more physical, but they're not quick. And Smith, I could see getting his against them as well. So Seth on Sunday, you're going to just casually like, you know, very low blood pressure, watch this game unfold. Ho-hum. We'll be here again next year. Or are you going to like, what is, what is game day like for you? Are you stressed out? I, (laughs) I was, I was incredibly stressed out before the Bengals game in part because of all the narratives. Um, the thing that stresses me out about you didn't this, want bro to have to be the best quarterback. Uh, I just, in the I didn't want to have to have won. those. I didn't want to have to have those conversations all off season and they'd beaten the chiefs three times in a row. And so, I mean, to the Victor goes the smack talk and chiefs fans aren't used to anyone having that over the chiefs right now. Um, and so I, I think in a weird way, I will be a little more casual but I'm not sure then you were got it. Then I was, then I was once the game started, I, I was just a complete lunatic and pl- now plus we have family coming over. You know, I, I, I got to look at least like somewhat sane and I'm fortunate because my sister hope is a huge cheese fan and she gets way like crazier than I do. So I'll look like the sane one, no matter what I do, but I think I'm going to be pretty stressed out just because of the, the long-term implications of all this, you know, it's all about narratives and sports coverage. And I get it. You know, everyone has a job to do, but you know, if they lose this now, the narrative is, Oh, is he the next Aaron Rodgers with only one Super Bowl? You know, he's been, to, he he's lost two of his three Super Bowls. What, what do we make of that? You know, and you're allowed to turn that stuff off. You're allowed to like, I know, I know you feel like you have to go to bat for chiefs kingdom, but you don't have to, like, you don't have to have the debates. Man, that is so mentally and emotionally healthy. (laughs) And I really should consider that sometime. Maybe next year, you know, it's hard to say. It's it's a lot like working out and dieting. Like, I'll get there eventually. That's probably, I I think, uh, another few years down the road. (laughs) Seth, you're the best. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, let's broaden things out a little bit with our next guest, though I'm curious to see if he views the pressure points in this game similarly. It's Aaron Schatz, who, as I mentioned at the top of the show, created the DVOA metric and writes about the league through that lens for the Football Outsiders website. I have the site bookmarked on my computer. I reference it frequently throughout the season and have found, as Aaron has, that DVOA is a really good evaluator of who's actually playing well as opposed to like who's having success. And I know that that probably sounds a little bit like splitting hairs, but they are two different things. And the Vikings this year were probably the best example of that. They're a team that won a ton of games, but never really popped in any advanced metric or even basic metrics, frankly. They were a bottom five defense across the board, a bottom five rush offense. Also, they did generate some big plays in the passing game, and that seemed to carry them to a number of wins. But again, DVOA is a stat that measures success on each 
each play, taking into consideration the situation on the field and comparing it to the rest of the league and how they perform in similar situations. So if you're looking for a way to figure out if someone's doing something special or not, this is a good tool to use. And with that in mind, let's welcome him in and get into the game. Aaron, I really appreciate you making time for us. Down there in Phoenix, you are yeah. on site. How's Look, the week going so far? It's early. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, so have you run into a lot of people yet or is it still kind of early? It's early in the week. Yeah, it's interesting because I've run into other media people, but there's not as many people here as when I had been at the Super Bowl in years past before COVID. Um, there definitely are many fewer radio stations that just mm. sent, you know, radio stations used to just send maybe their afternoon guys, maybe their midday guys and their afternoon guys and just broadcast for like eight straight hours from Radio Row. There's much less of that now. It's a lot mm. more just digital media companies and uh, like podcasts and uh, we're definitely in the digital media age at this point rather than the radio age. And then, you know, all the celebrities and stuff that wander around the media row don't usually come to like Wednesday or Thursday. Wednesday and Thursday yep. is when they'll be like, you know, WWE wrestlers randomly, you know, <laughs> the Miz. that's when you'll run into the Miz. And, yep. Mm -hmm. You know, Aiden Hutchinson will be there and yeah. just, Christian Kirk and random NFL players yeah. that promoting pickles, promoting pickles. Yes. <laughs> pickles and pickleball. It's a big year for pickleball. That's always my favorite part about doing the, the Super Bowl week interviews with people is that you have to find a way to you either, you have two choices. One, you have to find a way to like organically um, in a way that doesn't feel gross set them up to talk about the thing that is random that they're promoting or you just have to be like, so you're here promoting pickles. Tell me about pickles. Yeah. You know, so like you, it's when you have a two sack game, do you enjoy cashews afterwards? <laughs> I know. All of the health benefits of cashews. Let's talk about that for 15 minutes. Um, all right, Aaron, let's talk about this game. Uh, your perspective is very interesting, tracking the DVOA stat that I talk about all the time. Um, so what what uh, and I know that there are so many layers to all of this, uh, just as a starting point, what do you think, what jumps out at you is the thing that you think is um, most important in terms of all of the data that you have taken in about this game? I mean, the first thing that's most important is, wow, this game is really close, right? Like, I mean, the re there's a reason the Vegas line is only 1.5. Like these teams are very, very closely matched. And especially if you adjust the Eagles, for the two Gardner Minshew games, you know, and you 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 sort of uh, um, don't count those because so I think one of the things that's interesting is the trends of how the teams have gone up and down. The Eagles' offense, their passing game has not been as good in the second half of the season, even if you take out the Minshew games. But their running game has been fantastic, and you have to take out the Minshew games because. Hertz is so important to their running game, not just Hertz running, but the threat of Hertz running, opening things up for the running backs. So if you look at the Eagles from week 11 onward, not counting the two Minshew games, their DVOA running the ball would be the second highest of all time behind the 2000 Rams. Of if all time? Look at that half, yeah, if you look at just that half season. 
Like they have run the ball extremely well over the second half of the season, but their passing game has fallen off a little. That is interesting. Okay. Uh, tell me more about the passing game falling off. Yeah. I mean, I think they're just, it's just a little bit less of everything. It's not any one receiver who hasn't been as good in the second half. And I mean, obviously they missed Dallas Goddard for a few games, but it's just, it's gone from being like near the top of the league to being, you know, 10th or 11th, but it's still good. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on defense, they're, Pass defense has not been quite as good in recent weeks, but it's still been really good. But their run defense got better when they added Linval Joseph and Ndamukong Sue. And then actually, if you look at their pass defense, um, it's it was really, really good the first few weeks. Then it had a few weeks where it was kind of average. And then the last four or five weeks, it's been really, really, really good again. It kind of tracks a little to the C.J. Gardner-Johnson injury, but not quite exactly. Hmm. What about the uh, what about the Chiefs? Where do they fit into all of this? The Chiefs' offense has no trends. The Chiefs' offense is just the best passing game in the league with an average running game, and it's been that way all year long. Very um, easy to understand what we're looking at there. Yep. Yeah, their pass defense has gotten better in recent weeks. I think since McDuffie came back from his injury is a big part of that. Um, and their run defense, um, it's important to realize that as good as the Eagles' run offense is, the Chiefs' run defense is not the sieve that we're used to from past years. Like, they had an average run defense. I'm not I'm not trying to damn them with faint praise. That's better than they've been in years past. Like, mm-hmm. their run defense ranked 15th on the year while their pass defense was only 20th. But like I said, pass defense has gotten better since McDuffie got back. Yeah, I know from a fantasy perspective, tracking these types of things, that this was a team that you could play your wideouts against pretty consistently like yeah, they give up you a lot could, of fantasy you points play your wideouts against yeah but yeah. it's been better in the recent it's been better definitely in recent weeks they they're they're it's interesting the chiefs biggest pass defense uh, weakness is the short middle area of the field so um they were 30th in dvoa on passes to the short middle jalen hurts was third in total value on passes to that area Nick Bolton did not have good coverage stats. Um, he had a poor success rated coverage. And so I think you're going to see a lot of like AJ Brown crossers and Dallas Goddard and stuff trying to take advantage of the middle of the field like that. That's exactly what Lewis Riddick said on this show. He said, uh, if the chiefs are to have success, then we're going to be talking a lot about Nick Bolton and Willie Gay. Yeah, although less Willie Gay because they've done this. They, it'll be interesting to see the last five or six games, they've played a lot of dime defense where they take Willie Gay off the field in favor of Brian um, Cook, the uh, rookie safety. And they play three safeties instead of playing two linebackers in like a 4-1-6 setup with Bolton as the only linebacker. So it's probably going to be a lot of Bolton. It feels a little bit like um, in the postseason, and there are some statistical trends to Spags's defenses playing really well in the postseason and um, elevating their play, I suppose, to a degree, like that they're just sort of average in the regular season, but then not just this year, but in years past, um, the defense steps up and they can take on these really tough offenses and they just play their best games of the year. What do we make of that? statistically like in someone in your world that's looking at data 
Like, how yeah. do you, and it's, it seems to track for last week. Like you're like, Hey, here's Chris Jones having the best game of his career, you know? And it's exactly what they needed. You look at where they're weaker, where they might not win the matchups. And then you go, that guy needs to have the best game ever. And then there, there it comes. You know, you mentioned McDuffie had a great game. I always wonder about that because my feeling is like, why would you game plan better in the playoffs? Right. Right. Like, wouldn't you, it's, wouldn't you just try to game plan your best all the time? Like why, you, you know, I, I guess I understand the idea that there are certain players who um, I don't believe in clutch as much as I believe in not clutch. Like, I don't believe that there are a few players who raise their game in the most important circumstances. I believe that there are a few players who can't, mm, who, 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 who lower yeah. their game, right? Mm-hmm. Who get freaked out by the moment. But I think most players can handle those more important situations. It's just a few that can't rather than the other way around. So I don't know what uh, Lou uh, Amaruno. Amaruno, yeah. I always (laughs) broke his name. I know. Uh, It's uh, it's the same way, right? So Cincinnati's pass defense, if you adjust for the quality of the opponent, they're better against top quarterbacks than they are against lesser quarterbacks. Like, Jacoby Brissett like sliced and diced them this year, but then they were better. They're better when they play Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Like, I don't know why that happens. I honestly don't have an answer to it, but uh, I understand that the trend does seem to be there. Same with Patrick Mahomes, right? Didn't I see you tweeting out his DVOA is actually better against the best pass defenses? Yeah. What? Yeah, I don't know what, because my feeling is like, why, you know, normally you, you would, I mean, you know, if you don't adjust for opponent, he's better against the worst defense, but essentially he's better against the best defenses than the average quarterback is like the, the amount that Mahomes is, well, that makes sense. Drops, the yeah. amount of drop between playing a bad defense and a good defense is less for Mahomes than it is for an average quarterback. That seems to track. How how complicated is it to um, make sense of Mahomes as an athlete? I mean, because it feels does everything well. What do you? It's not it's actually not. <laughs> so it's complicated. not complicated at all. It's easy. Yeah. I feel like I feel like he's one of those guys though, and I feel like this matchup is actually. So we were talking about it with regards to the Chiefs defense. So like, just step up, have your best game, but then they they do on paper. If you look at the two teams. And maybe your papers tell you something different, right? Because you're looking at it through a different numerical lens. Uh, the Eagles look like they have a much better roster to me than the Chiefs, top to bottom. They are yeah. built in a different way. That It's across the board. There's talent everywhere. It's hard to find holes. Then you look at the Chiefs, and the Chiefs feel like, I mean, uh, on offense alone, you put their wide receivers next to the Eagles wide receivers. We're not even talking about the same conversation. Running back, you know, like – you have Patrick Mahomes and you have Travis Kelsey who are yeah. insane talents. And then and you Chris have Jones. some talent on the offensive line. Right. And then yeah. there's some guys on the defensive side of the ball, but like it, it's, it's not built the same way. We, and we, yet, we were saying it is it, it, the three best players in this game are on Kansas. City. Patrick three Mahomes, best. Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones. And then it feels like the fourth through 30th best players are on the Eagles. The Chris Jones is better than any of the players on the Eagles. I, I mean, no disrespect to Hassan Reddick, but yeah. 
or I Lane mean, Johnson you, or Travis or Jason Chris Kelsey. Jones, the average's position, and you consider that Lane Johnson is a little injured. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. But then, like, if you're looking for somewhere where the Chiefs are better than the Eagles after those three players, you're like, a uh, punter? <laughs> right. So it's how much how much weight is put on those players right. to be consistently better and to stay. At, 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 I feel like Patrick Mahomes, it's like I've described it as like, so you can you can analyze the Eagles straight up. The Chiefs, it's like, okay, here's what I see. And then you give them like, 20 extra points for whatever magic Patrick Mahomes is going to do, because you know, he's going to do it. You just don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Well, even we ran an article today that Vince Verhey wrote looking at the worst chiefs games of the year by our number. And here's the thing about the worst chiefs games of the year. Patrick Mahomes was awesome in those games. Mm. Like, even if you look at the worst chiefs games, you don't shut down Mahomes. The, the thing that links the worst Chiefs games is special teams miscues, bad running the ball, and that the defense didn't get interception. Hmm. But Patrick Mahomes was great. So there's like, it's not like we're like, and this is what defenses did to stop Patrick. But there is no stopping Patrick Mahomes. I mean, if the, if the ankle couldn't do it, you're not doing it. What was, what does his worst game of the year look like? Compared um, to other? His, First game of the year was, I think, week 18 against the Raiders. It's the only game of the year where we have him below replacement level. I mean, he just, there are, there are no bad games. He's just good in, you know, he's very rarely has bad games. And the thing that stopped him in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago was the offensive line being so bad. And that's not mm-hmm. the key now. His offensive line is totally healthy and great. It's incredible how quickly they turned that O-line around. Um, but that's a different story. Have you found a Mahomes weakness? Is there one? No, I, there really isn't. Um, it's interesting. The one thing is interesting is historically, right? He kills blitzes, destroys them. This year, he actually was better without a blitz than he was with a blitz. And the Philadelphia defense was much better blitzing than not blitzing. So I do wonder, will they take the chance and blitz him? Because historically, it's something you never, ever want to do. And when I say blitz, I'm talking about anything that sends five guys. Because like if right. you have four linemen and then Hassan Reddick at linebacker and Hassan Reddick comes, technically that's a blitz because that's five guys. So um, Does that feel noisy to you, though? Because it's It feels different. noisy. It feels yeah. noisy. Like, why would Mahomes have this very strong trend for three years and then all of a sudden this year it switches, like, I wouldn't trust that. Like, I would still not blitz it. See, that's a tough position that coaches are put in, right? Like, analytics comes to them and they say, hey, there's this new trend that's developing, uh, but right. it's totally we different to than what we, we know of to... him from years past. Do with that right. what you we will. We have to figure out, is this trend meaningful? I mean, yeah. the, the thing that the Eagles have to remember, though, is that they are better when blitzing. So, like, do they want to do the thing they're better at, even though Mahomes might kill that thing? Or do they want to do send only four, which as good as their pass rush is, their defense is not as good when it's only sending four. But then you don't let Mahomes historically just destroys. I mean, the last, I mean, this year it wasn't, but the last couple of years he'd average like nine yards of play against blitzes, like something crazy like that. One of the questions that we've asked people all year long um, 
particularly with regard to the Eagles defense is can you find a hole? And it's been hard to do. They're really strong top to bottom. Like I said, have you found a weakness? Not really. It's the Eagles are a really well-balanced team. Like for instance, um, even their linebackers have good coverage stats. Like you don't think of the linebackers as the strength of the team of that defense, certainly, but TJ Edwards and Kazir white have good coverage stats. Like, the best success that you have underneath against the Eagles is when your your receivers are uncovered, right? Like in in zones or you know or the checkdowns to a running back or something. Um, there really aren't a lot of there really aren't a lot of weaknesses for the Eagles defense. Like um, Slay is so good and Bradbury is good. Avante Maddox is kind of average, so slot receivers are a little bit of a of a weakness. Um, if you look at the difference between receivers coming from wide alignments and receivers coming from slot alignments, the Eagles were the number one defense against receivers coming from wide alignments, but they were average against receivers coming from slot alignments. Hmm. So make of that what you will. But the Chiefs were not particularly good throwing to receivers from slot alignments when they were wide receivers, like when they were not Travis Kelsey. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, there was a lot of inconsistencies, I think, with the wide receivers for the Chiefs. Is yeah, something... I mean, it's not the worst group of guys. I mean, it's just there's no there's just nobody who's as good as Brown or Smith. Uh, you know, Smith Schuster is a good player, and Valtez Scantling, you know, is kind of inconsistent. And um, Sky Moore, Kadarius Tony is talented, but does specific things. He's not like a like a regular, just like a straight receiver, right? He's like a gimmicky guy. Um, you know, Mahomes will get them the ball, though. That's the thing. Mahomes papers over a lot of weakness. What about Jalen Hurts? What's I mean, to you about him? Hurts had a fantastic year. Um, you were talking about blitzing. One thing that is true, Hurts struggled against the blitz. 7.8 yards per play without a blitz. 6.1 yards per play with a blitz. And the Chiefs were better blitzing than when they didn't blitz. So now Spagnolo has to, you know, we know Spagnolo likes the exotic blitzes. Does he blitz Hurts, sort of trusting not only the numbers, but his personal preferences, right? We know the way Spagnolo likes to bring pressure. Can he trust his rookie cornerbacks on an island with those great receivers? But uh, the numbers suggest that he should blitz Hurts, that Hurts did have problems this year with blitzes. Relative problems, if I'm correct, right? Like he was he still was better than most. Yeah, he just... was like fantastic if you didn't blitz him. And he was kind of average if you blitz him. He wasn't bad if you blitzed him. He was just kind of average. Yeah, I feel like uh, someone else said that and and Eagles fans got all over us. Um, like we're looking to pick him apart in ways that other people are not in, in a way that's unfair. Um, I mean, in well, terms of in ways that we're not looking to pick apart like a Patrick Mahomes. My point is like, are He's, you kidding? So, I'm constantly looking to pick apart Patrick Mahomes. Like we were just yes, talking about. Yes. I would love to find the secret weakness for Patrick Mahomes. Like, yep. oh, this is it. This is the weakness. Yeah. We just can't find it. And honestly, you get to this point and you're talking about people. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's an MVP candidate. He obviously had a great year. You're looking yeah. for the ways to be predictive. You're looking for ways that he can 
potentially be attacked. Like you're looking for weaknesses to expose because that helps us predict what, what a defensive coordinator might do or, you know, in the reverse and an offensive coordinator ways that, that this game might play out, which is kind of the whole gig. Um, if you had to make a pick, um, what, what do you feel most comfortable? Where do you feel most comfortable going? Cause I'm still not even there. Like, I think yeah. that I'm, I'm like, I th- I think I'm, I think if I had to, if you were like, you have to put money on this game, you have to, I think I would go Eagles, but then I would feel the whole game. Like, like my gut told me something different. This is what happened with me with the Bengals and the chiefs. I said, I was like, it's a head versus gut. My head tells me that the Bengals are a better roster. And then my gut tells me that Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are just going to do something that is, it's almost inexplicable. Like I can't put my finger on what it is. I can't explain it. I can't provide analysis for you about why I feel this way. And so I ultimately went to in the direction that I could explain. And I feel that way about this matchup very strongly because the Eagles consistently top to bottom, but there's just something about Patrick Mahomes, but I'm not, you know, I don't know. First of all, if I had to put money on this game, I would put it on the over rather than betting who wins. Okay. Okay. That's a smart way. Okay. We're working around. Okay. We're still making over, money. Over 50 because, uh, you know, these were two of the three best offenses during the year. They both ranked better on offense than defense. They both were fast paced. These are the number one and three teams in situation neutral pace. So these teams like to play fast and run a lot of plays. More plays is more points. If you made me bet on the line, I'll mm-hmm. take the Chiefs. Okay. If I have to. Three reasons are sort of my tiebreakers. One is all other things feeling equal, take the better, which is Mahomes. Take the better the quarterback. Second, the second is that having the extra week before the Super Bowl would seem to emphasize the things that Andy Reid does well rather than the things that Nick Sirianni does well. Like, we love Nick Sirianni for his in-game decision-making, but his in-game decision-making isn't going to change with an extra week of prep. Whereas with Andy Reid, we love him for his game planning. And so he's got that extra week. And then the third tiebreaker is uh, if I'm going to get a, you know, not like this game is probably going to come down to a single point, but if I can get a single point, I'd rather take that side. (laughs) So if you made me take the line, I would take Chiefs plus one of them. I want to ask you about one of the teams that didn't make it this far, that was at the top of the DVOA rankings all season long or near the top. um, And that was the Buffalo Bills. I went and checked back in at the end of the season in. Uh, to the DVOA rankings, uh, weighted DVOA, I thought that the Bills were going to have dropped because what we saw down the stretch from them in the regular season felt like exposed vulnerabilities. And they didn't seem as strong a team at the end of the year as they did out of the gate. We thought that they were gangbusters. This was the favorite. And then at the end, it felt a lot more vulnerable. And yet that was not reflected in the DVOA rankings. Why no, is that? I think they still played well down the stretch. I, you know, I think that they still, I mean, until the divisional round lost to Cincinnati, I think they still played really well down the stretch. They were the best team pretty much wire to wire. Um, but, you know, we talked, we, we wrote about it a little bit. Um, basically every advanced metric uh, had the bills at number one. And the metrics that didn't have the Bills at number one mostly had San Francisco at number one. 
So the best team from the regular season doesn't always win it all. It's it, it often often doesn't win it all. Like if you assume that the best team is going to get the number one seed and that they're going to have a 70% chance of winning every playoff game. And that's, that's a really like, uh, you're giving them a lot of credit if you say that. They're still only going to win the Super Bowl 34% of the time. Like, it's just a fact. The best team from the regular season doesn't win the Super Bowl more often than not. I feel like that I can track that with the Niners because of the things that happened during the game to make it feel very fluky, right? Like well, the Niners was very, very fluky. Yeah. Although the Eagles offense played really well against their defense too. Yes. But there was obviously a component in that game of like, what if left on the table, we have no idea what it would have looked like if the Brock Purdy injury had not happened. And I know that there are some people that feel like we saw enough to feel like where this was going. I don't feel that way. No, because so, it would have been the whole structure of the game would have been different and the Eagles defense wouldn't have been as tired. And yeah, it would have been a different story. The bills on the other hand, though, I feel like we had like they played the dolphins so close in that first round of the playoffs and the yeah. dolphins in that game were not their best selves. It was kind of like the comp I, to a degree, not, not exactly uh, apples to apples would be like how the Eagles played the Niners. Everything kind of fell apart for the Niners and what was a very, very good team no longer was on that particular day. And yet the Eagles still just stomped them. I feel like the dolphins were kind of the Niners in this situation. They're not their best selves. They made it to the postseason based on what they did. Quarterback and a nothing. (laughs) Oh, okay. I mean, that's fair, but the bills didn't, didn't feel like they dominated that game. You made an argument on football outsiders that they in fact did dominate that game, but the ways in which the score ended up being close was because of the result of turnovers. And that's not predictive. Yeah. How much was that a consistent trend for the Bills? Because what seemed to be a problem for them were those turnovers for the last month of the season that kind of put them in some rough situations. I'm wondering if there's a way it, to, it wasn't I, just I the get what you're saying. It was the re, like the returns on the turnovers. Yes. Uh, against Miami, right? Like yes. mm-hmm. there was like, like really long fumble and interception returns that that's really unpredictable. Like you don't learn anything about an offense by how, how much they let a defensive back wind their way through the offense on their way on an interception return. Cause that's not really the offense's job to tackle a defensive back. You know, I mean, they have to every few, you know, every, every so often, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that interceptions are bad, right. But Allen played well enough even in the second half of the year to certainly far surpass the penalty of the interceptions. Um, That game against Miami, like I said, the returns on the fumble and interceptions were really sort of unpredictive. And that's why that game ended up closer. Buffalo, if you look at the stuff that tends to be predictive, I know it's weird for me to say this because then they went out the next game and played the lousy. Yeah, But in general, if you look at things that tend to be predictive, they did outplay Miami pretty significantly in the wild card round. And then they were just lousy against the Bengals. They're, they're a tough one for me down the stretch, just trying to figure it out. Because it felt like they didn't pass the eyeball test in a lot of ways. It, yeah, it, I know I'm sitting here arguing 
against the eyeball test. I, I understand the eyeball test that people felt like this team is really inconsistent and they were really inconsistent the year before too, right? Like they were one of our top teams in 2021 and yet they were really super inconsistent, like losing to Jacksonville in the Urban Meyer days. Like it, it, the tough thing for Buffalo is where they go from here because Diggs and Allen, their cap numbers go up a lot. So this was their best shot. Like this year was the best shot for Buffalo and now they're going to have to like finagle to keep the roster together and it's not going to be as easy for them next year. Ugh, that's not what we want to hear. What about teams that, that um, from a predictive standpoint, who, who were higher in the DVOA rankings or weighted DVOA rankings at the end of the season, then who might surprise us? Well, the first thing I'll say that might be a bit of a surprise to people because it goes against sort of common sense is that teams that play better in the second half of the year, it doesn't actually tend to roll over till the next, to the next year. Like you learn more about how well teams will play next year by looking at the whole season than you do okay. by looking at just like the second half of the season. Okay. And that's a surprise. Because you would expect, oh, this team improved. They, you know, young players matured. Like this is going to roll over into the next year, but it doesn't really tend to. Okay. Um, the other thing is this year, there really were six teams, a seventh with an asterisk, that were far ahead of everybody else. And they're the teams that you think were. Okay. Right? It was San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Dallas, Cincinnati, Buffalo, and Kansas City, and then Baltimore when Lamar Jackson was healthy. Okay. We're far ahead of everybody else. So even if I say to you, team X and Y and Z might be a little underrated going into next year, none of those teams, like those teams were all very close to average. Like most of the league was very close to average this year, except for like a couple of really bad teams. And then those six or seven teams that were really, really good. So I would say to you, the team that is best positioned to sort of, surprise people next year is Detroit. But I think because of the fact that they got better in the second half of the year, I don't think that's going to surprise anybody to say, hey, Detroit's going to be good next year. They look like they're, you know, if you look at their performance, not just in the second half of the year, but over the entire season, they're better than their record. I think a lot of people would be like, yes, like we kind of knew that already. And we're kind of excited for Detroit next year. So I don't know if that's really like shocked anyone. Finally, everyone's on board. What about the Giants? Should the Giants be looking at their roster based on what happened this year and how far they were able to get as a team that is just a couple of pieces away? Or are they not there yet, do you think? They're not there yet. They should be looking at their roster based on the, how they performed in advanced stats, not based on the wins and losses. Because like it was great they got the playoff win over a, you know, the Vikings were in a similar boat, right? The Vikings were way, way outplayed their advanced stats this year. One of those teams had to win a playoff game. So the Giants did. But they're not like one or two pieces away. Like, the Giants were better than I expected this year, but they were an average to below average, slightly below average team that managed to win an extra couple games and then win a game in the playoffs. They should not be thinking of themselves as certainly not in the same boat with those six teams that I mentioned earlier that were way ahead of the rest of the league this year. We've talked a lot about the quarterback carousel these last couple of weeks and the quarterbacks that could be on the move and the teams that are quarterback needy. 
one of the things that I think is always important to keep in mind when teams are making a decision whether or not they should go draft a quarterback and start with a young one or bring in a guy like a Derek Carr or an Aaron Rodgers, and they're not necessarily, you know, same, same, but uh, to pay for the veteran or to go the rookie route is to see how far away they are, like what their build looks like. Yes. What what jumps out to you about the teams that that fit into that quarterback needy category? How would you separate them in terms of who makes sense to go get a veteran and who should just start from scratch in terms of the rookie? The tough part is that you have to remember that defense tends to regress from season to season. So, for example, I know that the Jets fans feel like they're a quarterback away. Because Jets fans go, we have a reasonable offensive line, we have Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore, and we have this great defense. The thing you have to remember is you don't necessarily have that great defense because defense, you know, regresses more from season to season than offense does. And because you improved so much on defense, there's this thing called the plexiglass principle, that when a unit improves dramatically from year to year, they tend to take a step back in the third year. So there's all kinds of things pointing to the idea that the Jets' defense is not going to be as good next year as, as the Jets fans think it will be. So they may need a younger quarterback more than they need that established quarterback. I mean, their offense can still take a step forward because their offensive line should be healthier next year, and Garrett Wilson will have a year of experience, and that stuff is good, but Jets fans should not think, oh, if only we added Aaron Rodgers to this top five defense. You don't necessarily have a top five defense. Like, don't trust that your defense is going to be as good as it was this year. Does it drop off dramatically, though, from year to year? When you talk about regression, are we going like top five defense might dip to like a top 10 defense? Or do you see it ever swing? They have an average defense next year. Really? Okay. Even with the quality of players, like, you know, all it takes is a, a little bit of injury and Quinn and Williams not quite as good as this year. And suddenly they're an average defense rather than a top five defense. Who and they, is, need to think, they need to think of themselves as, you know, it's probably more likely their defense will be around like 12th than that it'll be like fourth or fifth. Is there anyone that does appear to be built in such a way where it makes sense to go plug in an Aaron Rodgers or a Derek Carr? I, you know, I'm trying to think now through the, you know, I'm, I'm trying to like picture all 32 teams in my head. Panthers, Colts. Um, no, I don't I think mean, the Texans are going to do that. So no, I don't think them the out Col- for you. And I don't think the Colts are built that way. I don't think the Panthers are really. I mean, yeah. I mean, the Panthers are sort of the opposite. That they have a lot of good young defensive players and probably will be better on defense next year. But. I think they're going to go with the youngster too. I mean, that's just where their draft pick is, right? They're like picking like seventh and they've got a nice young offensive, not young, but an offensive mind now at head coach. And so they go with the youngster. Um, You know, I don't know who really stands out to me as this is the team that just needs to add a quarterback and they're there. Like, I don't know who really, I mean, honestly, the Jets come closer than anyone else, but I just, they're not, they're not, I just think don't 
don't plan on the Super Bowl trip quite yet, even if you do get the veteran quarterback. Like it's, I mean, just also based on where their draft picks are and stuff, it makes more sense for them to go out and get a veteran than to get a youngster because they're not going to trade up to the point where they can get one of the four youngsters that are considered first round picks. But, um, and then there's a big, like a big gap in this year's quarterbacks between those top four mm-hmm. and then an injured Hendon Hooker and then everybody else. There's like Mike Tanier's was in Mobile and was like, none of these guys from Mobile like were our quality quarterbacks. Like they'll be taken in the sixth and seventh round, but it's they're all totally random dart throws. Like if you don't get one of those top four prospects, it's not a thing. Yeah. Or if one of those not top four prospects doesn't go to Kyle Shanahan, then you know. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what Max Duggan will do if he's got Kyle Shanahan as his coordinator. But. Totally. Uh, then the predictive nature of this is out the window. Uh, really, really appreciate your time, Aaron. This is uh, very interesting stuff. So thank you so much. Hey, have thanks a fun for week. having me on. And folks, hope folks will keep reading Football Outsiders. We'll have good stuff, draft covers throughout the off season, And of course, uh, in July, uh, Football Outsiders Almanac 2023. We just, this is our 20th anniversary, by the way. July, we celebrate 20 years. Oh my gosh. So I've been doing this a long time. Folks, you come check it out. Oh, love it. Can't wait. For more from Aaron, you can find him on Twitter at F-O underscore A-Shots. That's F-O for Football Outsiders underscore A-Shots for Aaron Shots. And you can find Seth Kaiser at Real MN Chiefs Fan, Real Minnesota Chiefs Fan. Thanks to both gentlemen for joining me today. Really appreciate the insight. I appreciate all of you listening as well. That's going to do it for us this week. Next time we talk, we're going to have all the answers to these questions that we posed today. The winner of the game, the MVP of the game. We'll see if Seth was barking up the right tree with his answers. Also curious to see if we have any other big news to discuss by then. And if you haven't already, I recommend you going back and listening to Monday's podcast, which was a lot about that subject matter. Ari Murov, I thought, was very interesting to talk about the quarterback carousel with and the time frame that he is expecting for moves in that department. Also his expectations for the giants and the ways that they differed from popular opinion about what that off season will look like. Um, I thought that that conversation or that part of the conversation in particular was fascinating. And obviously we'll be all over those stories this off season. So if you are not a subscriber already hit that button now and we'll be sure to keep you updated in the coming months. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. Our producer is Andrew Emmer, and we will be back here again with more next week. So enjoy the game, win your bets, and I'll see you post-Lombardi. SiriusXM Podcasts.